Thanks, David. Would you imagine for a moment the triumphal entry that we read, Jedediah read for us at the top of the, the service? Can you imagine that Jesus so been towards the end of his three-year public ministry, he known that everything was moving towards Jerusalem, and finally this moment arrives. Can you imagine the, the entourage that Jesus had, right? That he's so we don't know exactly how many, I would guess several hundred people that were a part of his ministry after uh, the the, the death and resurrection, there was 120, but there was probably many more, hundreds who had, who had been healed or they had family members that had been healed, that they, uh, part of the, not just the 12 and the 72, but the greater apostles, the women who supported the ministry. And so a couple of hundred people going with Jesus, moving. And, and as they're getting closer to Jerusalem, I imagine the word starts to spread and the, and the crowd starts to come where they say, who, wait, wait, what's coming? Jesus, the prophet. Jesus, the miracle worker. Jesus, the healer. Je he's coming. Possible Messiah. He's coming. You can imagine the, the word starting to spread all through Jerusalem and the surrounding cities, and the people start coming. And then you've got Jesus there. This, this humble and yet authoritative figure, this, this combination. He, he's riding on, on, on this colt. And, and for those who knew scripture, maybe they would have rem remembered Zechariah 9.9. Rejoice greatly, daughter Zion. Shout, daughter Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you, righteous and victorious, lowly and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. They saw Jesus. Can you imagine the presence of Jesus? That they, they see him and they knew the, the power of God was in his life, flowing from his life. They knew that he had healed whoever they had touched. Can you imagine the authority, the truth spoken, the way he articulated the Old Testament? They'd, they'd not seen the authority and this prophet coming into the city of David. Can you imagine the crowd laying their, their cloaks down, the, the palm branches? Their, their cloaks was a symbol of Submission and, and recognition of the kingship of Christ Jesus. And, and the palm branches, there was a, a Jewish nationalism. There was a, a, a victory. When they would have victory, they would wave palm branches. This excitement, this energy, this buzz that was in the air. And then can you imagine, would, would you let the, the shouts fill your ears? They would say, Hosanna, which in Hebrew means save, that, that this potential, the prophet, the Messiah, is coming to save us from the Romans. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. He comes in the name of God, the power, the authority, and the truth of God. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father, David, the golden years of our nation, all placed on this humble figure riding in 
on a donkey. This moment was electric and filled with anticipation. And yet, unless you've been living under a rock for your entire life, you know where the story goes. So much energy, so much anticipation, so much excitement, and yet, the same crowd that was waving the palm branches, the same crowd that was shouting Hosanna in just a couple of days, is going to shout, crucify him. Crucify him. Every year I ask the question, I try and meditate on this. What happened? Why the change of heart? Where the the people there, the the energy, the anticipation, the excitement, what, what changed? What What happened from this exciting and electric moment to the moment of Jesus being nailed to a cross because of the shouts of the people? And and one of the the simplest ways that I can articulate it as I continue to read and reflect over the scriptures is unmet expectations is that simply, as simply put as I can, Jesus wasn't the Messiah they wanted. He wasn't the king that they wanted. He wasn't doing things the way they wanted him to do. And they killed him for. Later in the story, just a few chapters later in Mark, when Pilate is trying to get out of the responsibility of killing Jesus, whom he knew had done nothing wrong, he offers in tradition Barabbas to to give away. He was an insurrectionist. He was a murderer. And he thought, for sure, the crowd will choose Jesus over Barabbas. And, And yet they say, no, Crucify Jesus. We want Jesus up on the cross. And and Pilate asks, what shall I do then with the one you call the king of the Jews? Pilate asked them, and they said, crucify him. Crucify him. Why? Pilate asked. What crime has he committed? Asked Pilate. But they shouted all the louder, crucify him. Crucify him. Matthew's telling is particularly chilling when Pilate washes his hands and says, I'm free of the responsibility of this man's shed blood. Do you recall what the people said back? His blood is on us and our children. His blood is on us. And our children. What happened to Hosanna? I think it's very easy to say, boy, I I really hope that if I were there, that I would have 
at least kept my allegiance to Jesus. But before we rest in that assurance, I think it's important that part of our human fallenness is it's so easy to doubt God and turn our hearts away from him because of unmet expectations. In fact, if we're honest and we really reflect a bit, there's a good chance that at different times in our lives we have been so disappointed and and we've said, God... Why are you doing, this doesn't make sense. You're supposed to be loving God and yet you've allowed this to happen in my life. I'm not sure I can trust you anymore. In fact, I believe that each and every one of us have the propensity, especially because of pain, to turn our hearts away from God at least to one degree or another. Last week, Scott, and I thought what a beautiful message, shared some disillusionment of Pastor Steve Brooks passing away. And they had to struggle through that. Loss, loss of loved ones, loss of our parents, of our spouses, of our children, can all easily move our hearts away from the Lord. I was thinking of the devastation of divorce in so many levels. I had a friend whose parents divorced when he was in high school. That was the moment he turned from God and no longer walks as a Christian. Not yet, anyways. Those who've experienced divorce I hear again and again, I prayed so hard for our marriage. I prayed that God would make it work. Where was God in this crucible? Or simply life circumstance. When life is hard and difficult and we're struggling and everything seems to be not working, and we feel like someone is against us. We're saying, God, where are you? Again, I've shared before two friends who've gone to prison for a white-collar crime and seen one really turn to her faith, and the other turn away or at least wrestle and contemplate turning away. More and more I'm realizing that it's a heart issue. This is why Jesus talks so much about our hearts because our hearts in this journey of faith make such a difference. The ways in which we're turning our hearts towards the Lord or away from the Lord, and there is no in-between. Many of you recall would recall the four soils, the parable. That was a parable about the heart and how our hearts respond to the good news of Jesus Christ, how our hearts respond to the love and forgiveness 
of God. The first path, the seed falls on the path, but the enemy doesn't take root. People don't get it, and it's snatched away. But the second and third soils, there's a level of rootedness. There's a level in which the good news of Jesus Christ implants itself in the heart. But listen to Jesus' explanation of the second soil. The seed falling on rocky ground refers to someone who hears the word and at once receives it with joy. But since they have no root, they last only a short time when trouble or persecution comes. Because of the word, they quickly fall away. Or the third soil, Jesus talks about materialism or, or distraction or, or worry. He's talking about the heart because of life circumstance turning away from the Lord. As we reflect on the triumphal entry and the change, we begin to realize that perhaps there was some whose heart remained with the Lord through the devastation of the Passion Week. But the vast majority, there was this shallow love. There was this love for God that only was there when Jesus was being the Messiah they wanted him to be when Jesus potentially was meeting the expectations that they had of God and the Messiah. And yet when things turned, so did their hearts. There was perhaps a few, I think of Jesus' mother and the women, I think of John, the apostle, a few that had this abiding love. And though they were fearful they, and disillusioned, they stayed, at least their hearts stayed with Jesus. I, I think the triumphal entry has this question for us, an invitation. The first question is this is where is your heart today, this Palm Sunday? Where is your heart in relation to the Lord Jesus and what he's done? Have you been through a series of, of difficulty and struggle and your heart has been slowly turning away? Or have you been through a series of difficulties and struggles and you're starting to turn more and more towards the Lord? I think in Palm Sunday, there's also an invitation. There's a question of the state of our heart, but there's an invitation in Palm Sunday. And that's this. That whatever circumstance is happening in our lives, whatever difficulty or struggle, what does it look like to grow in abiding love rather than remain 
in the shallows, in the shallow end. What I wanted to do in this invitation of Palm Sunday is uh, go a, a unique direction. And um, probably you've never heard this uh, invitation on Palm Sunday because two weeks ago I was supposed to preach to you and I was so excited to preach to you and I got sick. I got the stomach flu. And uh, by the way, it was worse than covid and I had COVID before vaccines, before it lessened. Stomach flu is worse than COVID, by the way. So it doesn't last as long, but worse than that. But I was so excited. I, I don't think I, I've ever heard or, or a sermon on Enoch. Or I, I'm pretty sure I haven't preached a sermon on Enoch in part. And, and some of you might have not really heard of the character in the Old Testament, Enoch, because... There's only a couple of verses on the story. There's just a few verses on the life of Enoch. We have almost nothing. And it was such a simple message, a simple idea, but really the life of Enoch in these couple of verses have ministered to me personally in a real profound way. And so I'm doing a mashup of Psalms, Palm Sunday and, uh, and Enoch. Can, we'll see if it works, okay? We'll see if it works. All right, so you've got the shallow love of the people of Palm Sunday, yes? And yet Enoch is a testimony, a very simple, short testimony of what I would call an abiding in fact, his story is found in a genealogy. Most of us skip the genealogies in Scripture, right? We don't even pay attention barely to the genealogies. And yet there's this little few verses. It talks about uh, Enoch's father and he's born. And then if you look with me at Genesis 5, 22, we have it in the, on the screens. It says, after he, Enoch, became the father of Methuselah, Enoch walked faithfully with God 300 years and had other sons and daughters. Altogether, Enoch lived a total of 365 years. Enoch walked faithfully with God. Then he was no more because God took him away. End of Enoch's story. That's it. That's all we have. I don't think there's many bragging rights on Enoch's part, right? That kid, I was just imagining like in heaven with the greats, right? And they're talking about what they did for God. You know, Moses is like, I parted the Red Sea. <laughs> Noah's like, I built the ark. Enoch, what did you do? I walked with God. Yes, we all did that, Enoch. But what else did you do? That's it. I don't know if you should be in this circle, Enoch. <laughs> I mean, this is for the big boys, right? You just walked, right? And nothing else. Why? I like to ask the question, why in Genesis 5, in this genealogy, this little story of Enoch, why is it preserved for us? And why does God bless Enoch? Did you catch that Enoch 
never died. He doesn't go through that, but God's like so pleased with Enoch. He's like, you know what? Instead of going through death, everybody has to face it except you, Enoch. Because you walked with me. So I'm just going to pull you up to heaven. Amen. In our Lenten series, you can have all this world. We've been really seeking to get this incredible truth that the God of the universe, this great and awesome holy God, wants a personal relationship with you and me. We've been just looking at all through. We start the series with this beautiful message of the Ten Commandments and Pastor Jedediah helping us understand that the Ten Commandments could look that there's so many of a Jewish wedding ceremony. It was like a wedding ceremony that, that, that God incredibly would position the Ten Commandments like that. David would bring in the ark and he would reflect this, this reverence and joy in worshiping the Lord Hosea. That God would instruct him to marry a promiscuous woman and as she broke covenant and left, that he would say, that's what Israel, that my children are doing to me, but now go and buy her from slavery and be married to her again. Last week, Martha and Mary and Lazarus and their way of pursuing this personal relationship with Jesus. And we have this story of Enoch such little information. Let's see what we can pull from this. The, the, the Hebrew word for walked is halak. Halak. And a study Bible is saying that this Hebrew verb is a distinctive form that conveys a sense of an ongoing intimacy with God that there's this implied in that phrase that he was a friend of God, like Moses. There was a, a growing intimacy. Enoch, as far as we know, he was just an ordinary guy. Just, just a name and a genealogy, and yet this ordinary guy walked with God, the one true living God for 300 years. And, and God wasn't upset about it. God wasn't like, Enoch, I have stuff to do. I, I'm busy, right? No, no, no. We're told that this pleased God, that for 300 years it pleased God so much. He said, you know what, you know, Enoch, I, I love these little talks that we have. I'm going to just take you to heaven to be that much closer. Can you imagine Enoch walking on the Sea of Galilee? I don't know where it would have been, but can you imagine him just walking with the Lord and talking with the Lord? And again, an ordinary guy, he was married, he had kids. He must have faced all the challenges we do and the disappointments and the unmet expectations, and yet... Enoch, he, well, he just kept walking with the Lord. I imagine there were moments of silence between him and God. 
imagine there were times of confession. I imagine there was times of praise. Maybe he saw a sunset. And he said, God, you outdid yourself on that one. Wow. I imagine there were times of questions and discernment. Father, I, I don't know what you're doing here. I imagine there were times of disillusionment and struggle. And yet Enoch, not for a hundred years, not for two hundred years, but for three hundred years, he just kept on walking. And I imagine if it was this growing intimacy with God, where at the end, it's like God was like, I don't want to wait till nature takes its course and you die, Enoch. I want you to be close with me. There's another cool thing about that verb, Halak, walking, is it's found earlier, even though this is a story from Genesis 5, it's found earlier in Genesis 3. It's unfortunately after Adam and Eve, they, they eat the forbidden fruit and they're feeling their shame and they're hiding from the Lord. Listen to what happens. We'll, we'll read that verb. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was halacking. As he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord. It just implies that this was part of the design of God in the garden of Eden that that they, Adam and Eve, yes, they named the animals. Yes, they tended the gardens. Yes, they, they stewarded all creation. Yes, there was a, a role of work and they found great enjoyment of that work. But also this implies that Adam and Eve, there were these moments in the Garden of Eden. But they were just walking with the Lord. And then because of their sin and rebellion and shame, they hid and they didn't want to walk any further. And so in some ways, Enoch is recovering what was lost in the garden of Eden. He was living out what Adam and Eve gave up. Just a, again, Genesis has these beautiful pictures of the garden. Many of us know the divine mandate, which is, which is to rule and reign, to steward. And so absolutely, God is a God who is on mission. He is working and, and calls us to join him in the advancement of his kingdom. He calls us to work with him. He's a missional God. 
And yet we can also miss that he's an incredible, incredibly relational God. That he doesn't just want us to do stuff for him. That he wants us to be with him. And I love that we have no record of Enoch doing anything for God. He can't brag at all. And yet, did you know that he makes the Hall of Fame of Faith? Which is pretty amazing, I think. He, 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 he hears and sees that. Listen to, there was a, um, in seminary, I was arguing with a, a fellow seminary student. And he, his point was this, and it's a fair point, that the church has lost all reverence for God. That, that they don't walk in fear of God, in reverence of God, holiness. I preached on that a couple of weeks ago with David, right? So you know, I hold that. And yet he was saying, God is not your friend. He's God. And I was like, yikes. I sing, I have a friend in Jesus. Like, is that not too, am I lacking reverence? And then I found in John 15, 15, when Jesus says, now hear the, the missional and relational aspects of God. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends. So I was right. <laughs> I wasn't always right, but this occasion I was. For everything that I've learned from my father I've made known to you. I think Scott referenced it last week. In the, in the, this is the, the family's business. He's brought us in there, but it's the family's business. We know, we can understand God's work in this world. We can understand God's love invading all the, the, the painful parts of the world. We can join him in being the hands and feet of Christ in the world. Absolutely, God is on mission and he invites us into that mission. And at the same time, he calls us friend. And he invites us to walk in this growing intimacy with him and I believe that our hearts will turn from him if we remain in the shallow end of the pool if our love remains shallow and it's easy to remain shallow if we just do stuff for God as important as that is don't hear me by saying Right? We're not called to join him in mission, to use our gifts, to, to serve and to sacrifice and to give and to be generous, all those things, absolutely. And yet I've seen again and again where people are servants of God and then all of a sudden they have a crisis of faith. And they've not been walking in intimacy with you see, it's in those moments of unmet expectations. It's in those moments of loss and struggle and pain and difficulty. It's right in those moments when it's like, God, I don't know what you're doing. That's when we're meant to walk with God. And to say, Lord, I, I don't get it. I'm struggling here. 
that's how the, how the author of Hebrews talks about Enoch. Again, you've got the biggies. You've got Abraham. You've got Moses. And then he says this. By faith, Enoch was taken from this life so that he not, did not experience death. He could not be found because God had taken him away. For before he was taken, he was commended as one who pleased God. What did Enoch do that pleased God? That's it. No parting of the Red Sea. We don't have any miracles on record, right? He just walked. And without faith, it's impossible to please God. Enoch was this example of faith. Because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. There is an earnestness. There is a trust there is a, a faith in this walking, in the midst of disappointment, in the midst of unmet expectation, in the midst of loss. He invites us to earnestly seek him. Trust is another word for faith. If I can mention my personal divorce for just a moment, a moment that was so disillusioning and struggling. You know the times that sometimes it doesn't feel like God is even hearing your prayers, let alone answering your prayers. And it's that moment of saying, God, I, I don't get it. it. It feels so wrong. It was in that moment that I had to say, I don't get it, but I trust you, God. I don't know where I'm going to be a month from now or six months, six months or a year, but I'm going to trust you, God. I'm going to see how it unfolds. I'm going to do the right thing today Seek his kingdom and his righteousness. I'm going to seek your kingdom. I'm going to seek your righteousness. And I'm going to trust you for the circumstance. I'm going to have to say, just trying to share in the model, most, most mornings I try and do this literally. I try and walk with the Lord. Get my two Jack Russells. And I let them off the leash, even though I'm not supposed to. And they're running and jumping, and it's their favorite moment of the day, and they think the walk is all about them. But it's actually not. It's about a walk with the Lord. It's about saying, God... I'm struggling with this circumstance. How does this work? God, I, I see this on the horizon. But I'm going to trust you. 
in our view, there's a, a moment when we round a bend and they're off running somewhere and yet Pike's Peak comes into full view. I go, boy, Father, you were showing off with Pike's Peak. That's, that's amazing. That's incredible. And by the way, I, I, I don't get this. I'm struggling. Could you help? I mean, we've talked about this before. I still don't see any movement. Just reminding you. So where's your heart today? I'm convinced that there's no um, floating in the water of faith, right? That you just, you're either sinking or you're swimming. We're not really good at just floating, right? We're, we're either sinking or going down. Or, or let me put it this way, your heart is in motion. It's in movement. It's either moving towards God or it's moving away from God. Which direction is your heart moving this morning, this Palm Sunday? And our Father is so gracious that if your conclusion is, boy, my heart's been moving away from the Lord for a long time, He has the power alone to move the direction of your heart. The worship team, come forward. Let's pray together. And if the elders and the prayer team want to come forward or sit in a chair close to the front, and I just felt like just praying that some of us, boy, we're really wrestling with unmet expectations. And we're in desperate need of perseverance. We're in desperate need of perseverance encourage you to, to come and be prayed for in the midst of unmet expectations. Some of you just long to be like Enoch in this growing intimacy with the Lord. I would encourage you to be prayed for just, just that you would continue to grow and learn Walk with the Holy Spirit. Finally, some of you, we just need our hearts to turn. We've been, it feels like we've been in idle, but really, we've been growing in greater and greater distance from the Lord. Would you come forward and be prayed for as we sing this final song?